Well, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, it goes without saying, but for Cassie and I, it has been really just the greatest privilege to be here and to get to know some of you. Many of you I look out I have not met, and um, yeah, I long to meet you and to talk to you. We're here all day, so if you want to talk Bible, theology, music, baseball, not football, I'm not a big football fan, um, love to do that. I really appreciated what Brandon said last week, that I'm not Andrew, I never will be Andrew. The only thing that I have that Andrew doesn't is hair. <laughs> so, and even that's going out the door, so that's not much to say. I'm just kidding. I'm thankful to be with you all, thankful to bring the word to you through Psalm 55. Um, this is a great privilege, it's a great honor. So I pray you will be just as blessed as Cassie and I have been blessed by you all. So with that, please take your copy of God's word and turn in the book of Psalms, chapter 55. I'll give a few words of introduction while you're turning there. We'll read the text. I'll pray, and then we'll begin. David's son is Absalom, and Absalom is marching on Jerusalem. David's most trusted advisor has also betrayed David, Ahithophel. David's subjects in Israel have all supported his dethronement, and now David is fleeing to the wilderness for safety. This is a very emotional psalm from David, whose son Absalom had decided to go against his father and take his reign from him in 2 Samuel 15 through 18. Absalom had a conspirator's heart. It was a coup d'etat of David's kingdom from his son. Absalom convinced most of the army and the people of Israel to be loyal to him alone. Even David's political advisor, his companion and friend, joins forces and betrays him. When David hears of this, he and 600 of his most loyal troops flee. And David in his fleeing, he's going to cover his head and he's going to uncover his feet as a sign of mourning. So we have here a picture of what David did during the deep distress of family and friends and status failing him. The main point to take away today is God's people will be sustained through every trial and betrayal because of the great love he has for us. Even when those we love the most betrayal or fail us, we must look to Christ for help. Even in the greatest distresses of your soul, friends, you can cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. G. Campbell Morgan was the minister at Westminster Chapel in London before Martin Lloyd-Jones became the minister there. Maybe you've heard either of their names. He opened up this psalm in three parts. I thought it was so good I couldn't improve upon it. So the three parts he did were, number one, fear in verses 1 through 8, number two, fury, 9 through 15, and faith, 16 through 23. So fear, fury, and faith. Cast your burden on the Lord, 
and he will sustain you in every sickness, trial, betrayal, temptation, in every fear, in every fury, and in your faith, you will be sustained because God is stronger than all of us. When you pray, you will be comforted. And beloved, when you are brought to the valley, you will see the heights. When you are brought to the depths, you shall see the majesty of your king. So with that, turn your gaze to Psalm 55, beginning at the subscript there. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a mascal of David, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their garments, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O oh God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Would you pray with me for illumination now? Father, I pray you may 
aid us in understanding your word. Equip me, Lord, to equip these saints. I pray for your Holy Spirit to so fall on us that we leave this place different, that we leave this place edified, admonished, and encouraged, that we know who we may cast our burdens to. And it's in his name we pray, who lives and reigns with you and with the Holy Spirit, one God, forever praise. Amen. When Cassie and I started dating, I couldn't wait to bring her to my hometown in East Texas. There isn't really anything to see there, but I was excited about what to, to bring her on a clear, dark night there on our land that I grew up on. And living in Dallas, it was hard to see the full splendor of the Milky Way because of all the lights, all the lights there given away the vision to see the stars. And now where I'm from, it's a town of 1,900 people or so. A night reveals the absolute majesty of the heavens. And sometimes it's in our darkest moments where we can really see the splendor of our God on full display. Often the Lord brings us to places we never wanted to go just so we could behold his glory and power in our trials. Fear can be like a darkness that comes over you. Nothing can be seen or heard. And in sickness, death, betrayal, and tribulations, the Lord Jesus Christ is so near to you, just as he was near to David here in the psalm. The psalm begins with the anguish of David's soul and his cry to God alone. As I said earlier, this is a picture in verses 1 through 8 of David's fear. And once we get to verse 9, we will see David's fury, and then we will see him move towards faith. He says there in that first verse, he gives ear to my prayer. Give ear to my prayer, O God. Do you ever feel as though God is not listening to you? David appeals the Lord to not hide himself from him. And this psalm, above all, is a prayer. It's a prayer. He says in Verse 2, attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. The phrase attend to me, it, it means give active attention to me. Listen to me, Lord, I'm talking. Would you hear me? Would you listen to me? He says that his complaints are restless, thinking more like a negative contemplation of what's happening. You know, in those sleepless nights where your mind is just racing. Look at these words he uses in verses 2 through 3, complain, restless, noise, moan. Jumbled moaning is how our prayers are often sounding to our ears, right? But to the Lord's ears, he hears them and understands how wonderful it is to have a God who hears our complaints and knows precisely what we need before we even ask the language of moaning is spoken and heard in the halls of heaven. Our God will not shut his ears to our prayers. What a comfort that is. He will not shut his ears to us. He has only closed his ears to one of his children, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Here we may see there is an allowable amount of complaining we may offer in prayer. But not of God, but to God. Our complaints then must primarily 
be about either ourselves or the world around us with a godly grief. David gives the reason for this restless moaning prayer and the source of his fear. And there in verse 3, it's this wicked enemy. He says, because they are noisy, they are oppressive, they drop trouble upon me. Trouble comes upon David. By trouble, this is referring to sorrow, wickedness, and mourning. The wicked enemy, they have a grudge against David. They are angry with him. This anger from Absalom is a passionate, red-faced, flaring of the nostrils anger. It's nothing but vindictive malice towards the righteous. We must see that the anger of David that David is experiencing is the same anger that was hurled at the son of David. Crucify him. Crucify him. The great seed suffered only a bruised heel, but the ancient snake was crushed from his head. Jesus Christ had moments in his earthly ministry where he experienced the great anger of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jews. And when we get to Acts, Stephen is stoned by a stone-hearted malice. Church, we should expect nothing less from the world today. The dress of the bride of Christ, it often gets dirty, but the Lord will present it spotless at the end of all days. He says in verse 4, my heart is in anguish within me. This phrase in Hebrew is often employed as to describe the pains of childbirth. David's heart is aching. It's full of hurt. Death's terrors are falling on him, dropping upon him. It's what is said in Psalm 116, verse 3. The snares of death have encompassed me. The anguish, terrors, fears, and trembling and horror are too much for David. They are encompassing his soul. And I think this song gives us a real glimpse into the real emotions a Christian can feel. Fear and pain. Sometimes we believe a mature Christian is never afraid and always strong. But friends, David Dixon, a commentator, says that our feelings and reactions are sanctified, of course, but they're not completely removed. What matters is that our fears and terrors and troubles are taken to the Lord in prayer. We do have a great advantage in being Christians. When our human capabilities and strengths fail, we can turn to God for help. So as David did, when being a monarch, when being a man has failed, when all natural abilities are thrown out the window, David can pray to the Lord for a fresh supply of courage, wisdom, and strength. Our psalmist is best paralleled with our Savior in the garden who said his soul was exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Beloved, if you've never trodden this gloomy way, trust me when I say that you will soon. Let us mark the footprints of our Savior on this dark road. As we get to verse 6, David's love of peace makes him sigh for an escape from the scene of strife. Have you ever in a moment thought, oh, if I could just get away from all this, then my problems might go away. If I could just get away, then maybe I would find relief. What do you do when troubles come? If you're like me, you want to get out of it. You wish it was over. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I could fly away and be at rest. 
What is so special about the wings of a dove? Maybe you had doves at your wedding. I don't know. But doves, when taken off, you know they produce this high-pitched, audible vibration that's an alarm to predators. The sound communicates that they are fleeing the snares of death. There's no fight in the dove. It's all flight. They're escaping danger. Even the dove found no rest till she returned to her ark. The whole earth was covered with the consequences of sin. And so we, when we fly away from our sorrow, may only find rest and trust in Jesus. Not only will David fly away from his pain and sorrow, but look in verse 7. He lodges in the wilderness. He will live in the most uninhabitable place, the wilderness of Israel. I've been there. There's nothing there. It's rocks, and it's hot, and it's uncomfortable. He is saying, I would rather fly away and sleep out in the cold all alone than be here with the anguishes of my soul. Lodging in the wilderness is better than lodging with the wicked. Often when we are around worldliness and grief and the effects of the fall, we desire to physically remove ourselves. Maybe some of you like to take a drive or to go for a walk or maybe go see a movie, just something to get your mind off of what's going on. Our Lord Jesus modeled this intentionality for us. When hearing of the death of his good friend John the Baptist, Jesus went out into the wilderness to pray. He retreats into solitude. The day before his crucifixion, he takes his disciples to Gethsemane to pray. The Christian is never alone in their solitude like the unbeliever is. David, the prophets, John the Baptist, and our Lord himself were never alone when they ventured out by themselves. The God of the wilderness was with them. In verse 8, he now brings another illustration of what he is going through. It's like the worst of weather, heavy winds and rain, torrents and hail. He will hurry to find it, to get out of the damage it is causing. And I hope you see all these things communicate David's fear. Verses 1 through 8, we now move to David's fury. Verses 9 through 15. This is not some fit of anger on David's part. These traitors are traitors of God. They're traitors of righteousness. He's asking God to be a judge. He's praying as a king would. Friends, are you angered when you see injustice? Are you angered when you see abortion clinics still operating? Are you angered when you see criminals go free? So is David. He's praying as a king would pray. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we're saying the kingdom of Christ gathers the elect from this wicked world and makes them his people. In his trouble, he calls on the Lord to destroy his enemies. Divide their tongues. Divide their tongues. That's an interesting phrase. I believe it's a reference to Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel. You know, the people believed that they could usurp God's authority. So it is here. He's saying God confused their communications, mess up their radio operations, make it to where they cannot function as a revolution anymore. And it happens with Absalom and Ahithophel's rebellion. Successful in the short term, they rally everyone up, they take over Jerusalem. 
it will prove to fail in the long run. They will be put down shortly. And in verse 10, the strife does not sleep. It is day and night in Jerusalem. I think it broke King David's heart to see his beloved city, Jerusalem, given over to insurrection and violence. One of the most encouraging things I found in this psalm is that when David fled Jerusalem, he goes east of Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley, and upon the Mount of Olives. Now, when you look at Luke 19, Jesus goes from east of Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley, and upon the Mount of Olives, weeps over Jerusalem as well. But instead of, like David, fleeing Jerusalem to save his life and to preserve it, our King Jesus, the greater King David, from that same Mount of Olives, prayed and wept and walked into the city to give his life for his people. I think that detail is amazing only because to say, this is a picture of our Lord. This is a picture of our Savior. We should weep the same tears for our world and long for a new Jerusalem. The subject of David's sorrow comes more into view in verses 12 through 13. Who is this traitor? Who is this person who has fomented rebellion and insurrection? It's someone David knows intimately. It's his partner. It's his companion. It's his friend. He's referring to Ahithophel, I believe. Ahithophel was like the hand of the king for David. He was a counselor and a trusted confidant. Think of like a political consultant. Some of you may know the name Lee Atwater. He was the political consultant for Ronald Reagan and Bush, number one, and was amazing at his job. Considered to be one of the best political consultants in the history of our country. You may also think of Harry Hopkins with FDR, foreign policy advisor during World War II. Both of these men, though mostly forgotten, rarely made mistakes. They were trusted with sensitive information and made good decisions for their countries. You may also think of Benedict Arnold, who tried to give up West Point to the British, and now we kind of use his name as synonymous for traitor, right? This is Ahithophel. He's trusted with a great deal, and he uses it and this political savviness to deceive and plot against David with his son. We can amen with Charles Spurgeon when he says, none are such real enemies as false friends. Look at verse 14. There he's, he's kind of like he's saying, oh, remember all the good times we had. We were in Bible study together. We served in ministry together. We used to share our hearts you know all these intimate details about me, and you've betrayed me. Some of the greatest friendships are formed by a common love for Jesus. Young people, do not be surprised if many of your Christian friends in high school or college turn away from the faith. It's not an uncommon occurrence for the closest of friends to the believer to leave behind the thing you love or to become your greatest traitors. Maybe you know the story of William Tyndale, 
who that great Protestant reformer translated the Bible into English for the first time. He fled to the Netherlands to escape the king of England who was trying to kill him. And in 1535, his good friend Henry Phillips gave him up to the authorities in Antwerp. And Tyndale was not rescued from that. He was burned at the stake. Ahithophel and David, Phillips and Tyndale, they should remind us of the greater betrayal of Judas to our King Jesus. Judas, the man who had heard every sermon of Christ, betrayed him unto death. Jesus endured the worst of treachery from a chosen disciple. Judas was entrusted with the treasury of the twelve and often knew intimate details of our Lord. This is why we do not put our ultimate trust in other Christian friends around us, even pastors or elders. They will fail you. But what a friend we have in Jesus. Amen. He pleads for justice in verse 15. He knows what must come upon them, and that is death, going down to Sheol alive. This is what these traitors deserve and where they should end up. The traitors of David are deserving of death. David is leaving justice to God in his providence. This will prove to happen when the rebel army is put down in the woods and Ahithophel and Absalom are killed. Fury is an acceptable emotion when we see injustice and sin in our world. So that is fury. Let's look at our third point, faith. Verses 16 through 23. Let's see. David's faith that God will sustain his people because of the great love he has for them. Notice how the tone changes there. He calls to God. Vengeance won't save him. Fleeing won't save him. Notice the verbs in verses 16 through 18. Only the Lord can save, hear, and redeem him. David, who's ultimately a soldier, does not respond with countermeasures. He doesn't offer a tactician's response like Napoleon or Julius Caesar would have done. No, what does David do? David prays. David prays, and the Lord answers him by giving him an inward peace, a peace that passes all understanding. They're like, David, the coup is still happening. Why are you praying? We need to respond to this. The sustaining grace is like a harbor ships are forced into by bad weather. David, in his trouble, cries out to the Lord. So as the sailors in the storm in Jonah do, so as the disciples on the Galilee do, and that is to say when they are well near wrecked and are all together at their wit's end, until the end of man is reached, men will not seek their creator, even as the prodigal never thought of home until he had spent it all and there was a famine in the land. God often uses the suffering of the present to drive many people to their Savior. May the many tempests of this life drive us away from sin and to our King. We are often wandering sheep, and God uses the black dog of affliction to drive us back. Did you notice here in verse 17, we have the answer from verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, David 
He's not sure at the beginning of the psalm if the Lord will hear him. Open your ears to me. Hear my prayer. And here he says, he hears my voice. How amazing that the sustainer of the stars in heaven sustains the heart of David by hearing him. Some of you are running on empty and nobody knows it. You're on the fumes of joy and peace that you once knew. You are in the dark and fear consumes you. The complaints and moans of the soul, of your soul this week, what are they? What were they? Was it of finances, sickness, maybe betrayal? Whatever they are, if you are Christ, friends, he has heard you. He has heard your prayers. He will sustain you. Your prayers are not for nothing but are heard by a good and kind God. There's no waiting in line to meet your king. There's no cue for him. Even now, sitting where you are, you can go to him. Brothers and sisters, have a pleading heart and you will find a plenteous hand. King David's enemies are great, but David's king is greater. The arrows from Satan's armies are sharp. Some have pierced you as they have pierced me. But know that the greatest son of all, Jesus Christ, took the sharpest one to the chest for you. Many things clamor for your life and your attention. Even now, the battle will continue to wage. But Christ, our champion, has already won the war. The prayer of David was prayed by Christ. His disciples turned on him. Judas betrayed him. Peter, in his denial, they left. They feared. He was all alone. His enemies were great. The mighty Herod and the mighty Pilate conspired against him. His own people, the Jews, who he came for, turned on him. They chose a thieving murderer as more valuable to breathe than the son of life. And yet, our champion, Jesus Christ, withstood the penalty of our sin at Calvary. Beloved, when you depend on the Lord in your days of trouble, even before a whole army, you have more with you in Christ than those who are against you. He redeems my soul to safety. Many are arrayed against me. Verse 18. In verse 19, it says, God will hear the wicked, but not like he hears us. They're smooth words, and they may charm and fool us, but it won't fool the Lord. The eternal government of God stands forever triumphant over all powers of hell and schemes of man. He will hear them because he is just and will give a just rendering. What is their problem, the psalm says? They don't change. They don't fear God. They have breached the covenant. The problem with our world, and unfortunately many Christian things, is that it fails to see the need of change. Do you want to share in Christ? Do you want to go to heaven? Are you looking at all of us right now and wondering what we have that you do not? You must repent. You must change. You must turn to Christ with a weeping heart. Those who do repent are repenting because they see the need to fear him in a holy reverence. The psalm moves to its final exhortation 
in verse 22, an exhortation that is often repeated. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Just think, in times of distress, what is there left to do? The Lord will bring great troubles upon his elect, so at the end of it all, they exclaim this wholeheartedly. Church, you want others to carry your burden for you. Cast it now to the Lord. He will take it with joy. Do you think you can carry your burden on your own? Cast it today on the Lord, and he will carry your burden, and he will carry you. Are you on your own, abandoned, betrayed, or mourning today? Friends, I exhort you to cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will strengthen you. Cast your burdens and trust a good God will take care of you. I know many of you have gone through Pilgrim's Progress. Do you know what was on Pilgrim's back, Christian's back? A burden. Do you know how the burden fell off? He gazed at the cross. So beloved, gaze at the cross and your burden will fall off. Hear the promise of Jesus in Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Christian has three things that are sure from Psalm 55 and Matthew 11. They are, number one, a burden to cast. Number two, a duty to cast it. And number three, a promise to encourage you. Some of you may feel as though you are the best person to handle your burdens and weaknesses. But let me tell you this, Jesus is stronger than you. Cast it to him today. Perhaps you believe a powerful, sovereign God shouldn't be bothered with what little old you is going through today. Beloved, he is asking you in Psalm 55 to cast all your troubles to him even the little things. Maybe you are afraid of what may happen if you relinquish your control. You have a fear it may be too much for you to bear. But Jesus promises in the next chapter in Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering flax he will not put out. Remember, you are a reed and not an oak. David knew the peace of the Lord when all his power was gone. Surrender today and cast your cares to Christ. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain, carry, protect you. For there is more mercy in him than sin in you. In the night, in the, ter in the terrors, in the tears, in the longing, your God is all you need. Do you want the peace of David this morning? Cast your burdens on the Lord. He may not remove your burden immediately. He may not change everything that is happening, but he will sustain you through it in your hour of need. He will give you the strength you need to bear it. The glory of our God is that even in suffering, even in death, even in treachery, we are not moved. We are not moved because we belong to an immovable God. 
like a tree planted by the water, I shall not be moved. The last verse ends with the certainty that the wicked will ultimately not win. They will be cast down into a place of unimaginable horror. Surely we can say that the terrors and troubles of those who are in Christ do not compare to the absolute majestic judgment of God upon the wicked in hell. Look at what he says. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. Half the wicked's days will be lived out, but the lives of the Christian will be lived fully. Francis Turretin on this verse puts it very well, I think, saying, quote, the wicked, no matter when they die, even in decrepit old age, always depart prematurely and unprepared, so that the pious, the Christian, however and whenever they may die, always die maturely and opportunity. The believer's best day is his last day. The terrors of the wicked are great, but none compare to the terrors of God's wrath on Jesus to make his enemies his friends, to make the wolves of the church the lambs of the kingdom. We think of Paul, but I think we should primarily think of ourselves. See today how David is a shadow of Jesus. Your sin fueled the coup d'etat of God's kingdom, but God, rich in mercy, pardoned you for your sin and rebellion and made you a co-heir with Christ. He puts you in his kingdom. He made you royalty. Christ has not come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous to himself. You know that story in John 4, woman at the well? Who is she? She's a pagan. She's a woman. She's a, not a Jew. She's an adulterer. If you have been to Israel, you know Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria on this journey. And so why did he do that? Why did he go through that town? He went there for that woman. Jesus is seeking and saving the lost. He went out of his way to seek a pagan, immoral enemy of Israel to be a worshiper of the one true God. Jesus, by his atoning death and victorious resurrection, has inaugurated this kingdom to bring his people in. You may ask, how, how would you know that? How do you know this? Well, I know it biblically because biblically, that's what the Bible says, but I also know it personally because I am here and you are here this morning. Where is that great stability of the saints that David sets his eyes upon? Is it on earth? Is it here today? Do we put our hope in governments and conquering the world for Jesus? No, we do not do that. To do so is foolish, to put such faith in temporal things. This world is as unstable as the ocean, as changing as the formations of the clouds in the sky. What is your life but a vapor that is here for a little while and then vanishes away? Our hope is fixed on what the Lord will do when he will one day sit in judgment, determining the permanent state of heaven and earth. Absalom would die in battle, and it would break David's heart. Ahithophel would commit suicide by hanging himself. Thousands of years later, Judas Iscariot, betraying our Lord Jesus Christ, the greater King David, would subsequently hang himself. 
These stories align in detail by God's providence. Until Christ comes back, there will never be a relief of betrayers and enemies of Christianity. Yet our solace and consolation are not found in making the nation or Weatherford Christian. It is found in putting our trust in the Lord. Come what may, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. As you wait in this world to be called home, even though you can't discern these things with your eyes, are you content to believe it in faith? God's people will be sustained through every trial and betrayal because of the great love he has for them. John Calvin says on this verse, when they cast their eyes upon that eternity, they despise the momentary harshness of present calamities and burst forth Fearlessly in these words, thou will not allow the righteous to die. In other words, when you look upon the risen Savior, your current problems and cares of this world are just seen as momentary. When you gaze at him, you see a tender father who loves you will not abandon you to the trials of this world. Are you trusting in him today to sustain you? Or are you trusting in yourself or something else? In the darkness, God will keep you. He knows every fear of yours, my friend. Maybe all you need to hear to see you through the week is cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. So hear that. He will hold and defend you better than you could yourself. We have such a wonderful Savior. We have such a tender counselor in Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus is the hope of future glory and the life of of present grace. Some of you have suffered the effects of betrayal. Can I trust anyone ever again? You've told yourself. My guard, for now on, will always be up, you say. Your spouse has betrayed you, has left you and the kids for someone else, and you think, can I ever love again? My spouse's sin has tainted me forever. Maybe you have a parent who left you when you were a child and they have not made you feel as loved as they should have. You ask, why has this happened to me? And I think we in this life are unable to provide that answer except to say we know a Savior who suffers them with you. Cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. Perhaps you are in the midst of betrayal and think, I am too deeply involved in this mess that it would be humiliating to get out of it, to admit my betrayal. If that is you, I implore you to turn to Jesus today. It is a mercy of you to repent of your sin. What you need this morning is another deposit of God's means of grace through the preaching of the word. Sinner, there is a covering available to you this morning that was worn by the agony and sweat of a Savior. He paid the price. He cleaned the slate. You may say, I need my sin to be forgotten. It will be when you turn to him in faith as David did. If the blood of Christ has satisfied God's righteousness, it could satisfy your consciousness this morning. Do you know the name William Cooper? Spelled C-O-W-P-E-R. It's pronounced Cooper. He, he's one of my favorite characters to study. He was a hymn writer. 
much can be said of him, but I, what I find most interesting about Cooper is his relationship to John Newton, the former slave ship owner who had converted to Christianity. He wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. By the time Cooper was 33 years old, he tried to commit suicide three times. He suffered from extreme depression and was declared legally insane. He ended up being best friends with his pastor, John Newton. Not a bad best friend to have, I think. And together they compiled for their parish an original hymn book called Only Hymns. If you can find a copy, you should get it. And in that hymn is, of course, Amazing Grace, but some of Cooper's most famous hymns. There's a fountain filled with blood. You know that one? God moves in a mysterious way. One of my favorites. But a hymn that is largely forgotten, I've changed the name of it. Cooper will forgive me in heaven. But he titled it, Tis My Happiness Below. And I think a better name for it is, Trials Make the Promise Sweet. Troy, maybe you could revive this hymn for us one day. Trials make the promise sweet. Here's the hymn. So think of the man that wrote this. And find solace that the Lord has sustained David and men like Cooper, men like the 11 disciples that even though they failed their Lord were brought back. And you today, if he sustained people like us, he can sustain you in all your trials. So cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. We'll close with this. Hear this hymn, two stanzas only. Trials must and will befall, but with humble faith to see. Love inscribed upon them all. This is happiness to me. Trials make the promise sweet. Trials give new life to prayer. Trials bring me to his feet. Lay me low and keep me there. Trials make the promise sweet. Trials give new life to prayer. Trials bring me to his feet. Lay me low and keep me there. Let's pray. Oh, Father, hear our prayer. As you have heard David's, as you heard our Savior, and as you have heard the saints in ages past, Many in this room have the silent cries of a soul in distress. God, would you comfort them with your Holy Spirit. You are by our side. You will lead, you will, you will lead us, Lord, safely to brighter days and golden shores. Who do we have in heaven but you? May there be nothing else we have desire besides you. When our flesh and our hearts fail, be the strength of our hearts and our portion forever. Thank you, Father, for your love that never ends. It's in his name we pray, who lives and reigns with you and with the Holy Spirit, one God, forever praise. Amen.